Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. God doesn't need me to tell him how to fix the issue in my life. God doesn't need me to tell him how to deal with those who would want to hurt me. He doesn't need me to tell him how to deal with the difficulties. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need me to dictate the solution to the problems or my perceived solution to the problems in my life. He doesn't need me to advise him. He doesn't need me to suggest to him. He doesn't need me to do anything but depend upon him. And I think even in those cases, when we're just at our uttermost, I mean, we don't have anything left. That's, he just, he doesn't need me. He wants me and he'll act on my behalf. This is amazing grace. Hi there, and happy 4th of July to you and your family. We hope you're enjoying the holiday and that you'll spend the next half hour together with us as we open and study 2 Samuel 17. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll recall a low point in King David's life. What's encouraging is how God intervened in a way you might not expect. Pastor Ed Taylor will remind us that the Lord can do the same in our lives. And there's a good reason to trust him through the ups and downs of life. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Ahithophel was that sweet counselor to David. You could say he was his best, best friend, his BFF, his absolute most trusted man on the earth to David, has also turned against him. The grandfather of Bathsheba, it could be that that was the offense that he couldn't get over, he couldn't forgive, Bitterness is completely overtaking him. He's chosen side with Absalom. And just notice how bad he's turned. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I'll come upon him while he's weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Do you think Ahithophel has a problem with David? Yes or no? You guys with me? Ahithophel has an issue with David. And he has just given advice to Absalom, I will strike the king. How long has he been nursing that? Rehearsing that in his mind. Then I will bring back, verse 3, all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, then all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. This is a serious step suggested by the man who was once David's close confidant, by his best friend. Absalom, let me get 12,000 people and I'll go kill your dad. That's the solution. That'll solve your problem, Absalom. It'll solve my problem too. And it says in verse 4 that not only did the saying please Absalom, but all the elders of Israel, and that would be all the elders that have sided with Absalom. Everybody's happy. It's quite the rebellion. The murder of David pleased so many. You know, that's when you know your heart is far from the Lord, when the murder is pleases so many. In Zechariah chapter 8, jot it down, verse 16, it says, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath, for all these things I hate, saith the Lord. That's a repeated theme. I didn't go through and list all of the scriptures, but this 
hating your neighbor, speaking evil of your neighbor. It's forbidden throughout the scriptures. And you just know that's a bad place. When you're there, you just know it's a bad place. That's where Ahithophel is, verse 5. Then Absalom said, now call Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear what he says too. Now, if this was dramatized, if the kids were doing a play up here and they were doing this, the first four verses would be very dark and boom, gloomy. Dun, dun, dun. And, you know, it'd just be really dark. And then verse 5, the lights would turn on and the music would change. Because you remember Hushai, if you're following along, Hushai is a plant for David. So he's still back in the kingdom, but he's like a double agent where he's reporting back, really not a double agent, he's actually an agent for David where he's reporting back anything and he's there to speak to Absalom because Absalom has his ear already, or he has Absalom's ear. And so he calls for him, it says, and let us hear what he says. Then Hushai came to Absalom and Absalom spoke to him saying, verse six, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. Man, Hushai is loyal, and this is what loyalty looks like, and this is what loyalty sounds like. When Hushai speaks, it's like David speaking. <laughs> and Absalom has no idea. This is really cool as we tie the chapter together. Just keep it in mind. 4, verse 8. Well, verse 7. So Hushai said to Absalom, the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they're mighty men. They're in enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father's a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he's hidden some pit or in some other place. And it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, there's a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom, verse 10. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For Israel knows that your father's a mighty man and those who are with him are valiant men. I love that, verse 10, because he says all Israel knows, and what he's really saying is, Absalom, you know. You know, kind of, you know your dad. You know your dad. Could it be even a little bit of a gracious pause in Absalom's heart? You know your dad. He says in verse 11, Therefore I counsel that all Israel be fully gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that's by the sea for multitude, that you, and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men who are with him there should not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he's withdrawn into a city then all of Israel shall bring robes to that city and will pull it into the river until there's not one small stone found there. Now he's playing on his pride and he's buttering him up and how strong, you know your dad Absalom but you will do it. You're not going to just take out David, we're going to take out the whole rebellion. So Absalom and all his men of Israel, verse 14, said, the counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Notice, for the Lord had purposed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. So Hushai is there on behalf of David. He's still loyal to David. And he's been put there in his place next to Absalom by the will of God. And I just praise God for loyalty. I praise God for those that are loyal to God. And I praise God for the loyalty among the family of God. It's something very special and lost in these later generations. It was much, much valued so many years ago. But it's been lost, unfortunately. We live in a society just everybody's out for themselves. The next best thing. You know, as soon as there's any tension, man, people are, are, are running out and quitting on one another. But Hushai, you know, he, re, he reveals to us the value of loyalty and the beauty of loyalty. 
He hears the advice and says, no way, don't do it. And instead, his advice was, let's give this some time. You need to gather people from, you know, when, you, when the Bible ever says Dan to Beersheba, he, he's like, you, you need to gather people from the north to the south. It's going to take some time. 12,000 isn't enough. We're not just going to go after your dad. In order for this to succeed, we're going to have to go after everyone. And you know, we're not just going to go after everyone, but we'll take the very city that they're hiding in, we'll take ropes, and we'll drag it into the sea. <laughs> just like, and Absalom's, yes, 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 yes. Great counsel. He's buying this precious time for David. Sparing his life, giving no room, giving room, no doubt, for the Lord to work in this situation, which is one of the reasons why we're to wait on the Lord. Because part of the strength that God gives us as we're waiting on the Lord, waiting upon him in that phrase, as the Bible speaks in Isaiah, is we're giving room for the Spirit of God to work. We're giving room for God to intervene. Because that's what I have written down in my Bible in little letters. God, in the end of verse 14, God intervenes. If we were reading this in real time, we would gasp at this whole. Like, we, we look at the council and what's happening to David, and we don't know the end. We, we, would, like, we would be on the edge of our seats. What's going to happen, David? Because it looks like there's no way out. It looks like you aren't going to make it, David. It looks like you're just, that's it. Your son has all the momentum. Your son has all the, the, the people. He has the city. And you're willing to just go off right into the sunset as you're, Choosing to spare all the lives in Jerusalem, David, I just, David, David, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see any, I don't see any hope until the end of verse 14. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. I mean, you're looking at Absalom, it's like he's getting away with everything. He's not getting away with anything. <laughs> you might want to jot down on your taking. It looks like Absalom's getting away with everything. He's not getting away with anything. Why? Because God has purposed to bring an end to this nonsense. And all these things, you want a practical example of Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 28? Here's yet another one. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph is looking at his brothers there after all that's happened to Joseph. All of the trials and difficulties, all the sleepless nights in the pit and in the prison, all the false accusations, everybody believing he was a rapist when he was the most faithful, loyal guy there. And when God brings it all to the end and there he is with his brothers and God has arranged all this, he looks at his brothers and he says, and I paraphrase, you know what you guys meant for evil? God has turned it around for good this day. Even things that were meant for evil, I've turned it around. God has turned it around and here we are. Remember, let me show you something back in chapter 15, verse 31. Would you turn back just a page or so? Back in chapter 15, verse 31, we recall a prayer of David. It's a great prayer. A prayer that has come through my lips many times. And perhaps even yours. And someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And then it goes on. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain and he just moved on. He got bad news. He committed it to the Lord. You know, Lord, I know Ahithophel. I know how wise his counsel is. I've depended upon him my whole life. Would you just make his counsel sound stupid? Would you just make his counsel, would you make him say dumb things? Would you make it just not make any sense? 
Just as smart as he is, let him mumble and just make it just, please, Lord, just don't, don't let him give good counsel. Give foolish counsel. That his words would be dumb and useless. A great prayer. I don't, I don't see any, anything wrong with that prayer. I don't see, uh, God doesn't condemn that prayer. David was at that time of receiving really bad news that his best friend just turned on him, that he's submitting himself to the will of God. And he thought it would be good and wise that the counsel of Ahithophel wouldn't be any good. And I thought it was all. David knew the wisdom and how wise he was. And, and yet, and yet, David's prayer wasn't answered the way that he prayed it. Because Ahithophel gave good counsel. What he suggested, if Absalom would have said yes, it would be a different ending to the book. Yeah, take 12,000. They are weary. They are tired. They, they are at a weakened state. One thing after another, 12,000 people would wipe, you know, separate them, and David could be taken out, and that would be the end. The king would be dead. The new king would be established. He gave good counsel. And here's the thing I want you to see as you and I pray, as we're seeking the Lord, as we're committing ourselves to him, that God intervened, but not the way David wanted or expected. God intervened, but not in any way David expected. He expected that God would answer his prayer and Ahithophel would have bad counsel. But that's not what happened. Ahithophel gave great counsel. It was wise and good from the perspective of evil. I mean, it was good evil counsel, if that's oxymoron. But it was good bad counsel. Like, it was good against David. It would have worked in a military plan if they would have taken it. And what's encouraging to me isn't so much that David wasn't on target with his prayer. That's kind of discouraging, you know, that we're praying and then we're like not on target necessarily. We're not praying the will of God, even though it's a good prayer. Um, we just missed it a little bit, you know, just a little bit. Uh, we, we don't want to miss anything, but we missed a little bit and that can be discouraging. But here's what's encouraging to me. It's a very, very powerful thing and it's simply this. God doesn't need me to tell him how to fix my life or the problems in my life. He doesn't need me to dictate the plan. He doesn't need me to be spot on on my prayers. Because <laughs> it would be kind of discouraging if my prayer was off 1% and God said, oh, try again. And then I got to deal with all the consequences and I try again and, and, and God says, nope, you missed that one too. And you're like, well, what is it, Lord? Try again. And so, okay, okay, well then just, uh, you know, uh, make Ahithophel go to the hospital. No, nope, you're wrong. And then it would be so discouraging if God was playing this hide-and-seek with us and that God would only act if our hearts line up with his and we only prayed the right prayers all the time. But that's not, that's not what's happening with David. He doesn't pray the right prayer. He gives good counsel and God intervenes still. God doesn't need me to tell him how to fix the issue in my life. God doesn't need me to tell him how to deal with those who would want to hurt me. He doesn't need me to tell him how to deal with the difficulties. He doesn't need me... He doesn't need me to dictate the solution to the problems or my perceived solution to the problems in my life. He doesn't need me to advise him. He doesn't need me to suggest to him. He doesn't need me to do anything but depend upon him. And I think even in those cases, when we're just at our uttermost, I mean, we don't have anything left. That's, he, just, he doesn't need me. He wants me, and he'll act on my behalf. And one day, you mark this, one day in your life, verse 14, will be true. 
I mean, mark that verse, verse 14. If anything that you could see this, I would paraphrase verse 14. For the Lord has your back. Because that's what he did with David. And David doesn't even know. <laughs> that's the good. He doesn't even know this is happening yet. He's not even there. It's sort of like Daniel when he's praying. And there's some great battle for the answer to arrive to him. Daniel doesn't know that the answer's on the way, but he still trusts the Lord. He doesn't know what the answer is necessarily or even that God is even answering. He doesn't even know there's a cosmic battle for the answer to come. He just knows God. And those are those times where we fall back on, I know God has my back. I trust him. And, and, and here's the thing. It's a good thing. Not only does the Lord, does God have our back, God the Father, but the Bible even takes us further in our relationship with Jesus Christ that Jesus is actually interceding on our behalf. So it's almost like I'm throwing my prayers up and the Lord is taking them and correcting them and giving them to the Father. He's interceding on my behalf. I'm, oh Lord, please don't let Ahithophel give good counsel. And Jesus is praying, make sure, you know, get Hushai there. He'll take care of it. The Bible says this. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And there were many priests because there were many prevented by death from... Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, Jesus, be, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Guys, when we're praying, often at the end of ourselves, it's just not wise to dictate to God how he should work. Lord, you see this and know this and now do this. That tends to be more presumption on our part rather than just committing our ways to the Lord, committing ourselves to him, committing ourselves to his will, committing ourselves to his wisdom. And even though Ahithophel gave good counsel or what seemed good to Absalom, God used it to bring disaster. Listen, turn over to Psalm 73. Let me show you something. Psalm 73. I love the little title that, that my New King James Bible has over it. it. It says, The Perspective of Eternity. Or you could better say, The Bigger Picture of What God is Doing and Going to Do. Like when the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, keeping our eyes firmly fixed on him. This is where the psalmist learned this, where the psalm of Asaph, no doubt in communication in some way with David, talking about life. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to such as pure in heart. But for me, my feet had almost stumbled, and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Because there's no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, as people return here and their waters are of a full cup are drained by them, and they say, how does God know? And where is the knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease and they crease in their riches and surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, you know, it's just not worth it following you, Lord. It just doesn't feel like it's worth it. 
because I dedicate my life and I want to live as a good Christian. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to raise my kids. And, and, and I, I, I've given you my best effort and I've given up this for you, Lord. And, I've, and, and you just get to the place where, you know, maybe I've just done it in vain. It's all been empty. I know what you promised me, Lord, but my reality and my circumstances are making me feel different. I've just, uh, it's all empty. Why did I do it? I wash my hands in innocence because every day, verse 14, I've been plagued. And I've been chastened every morning. If I would have said, I speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of children. And when I thought how to understand it, it was just too painful for me. I, I mean, that, that's, that's an often daily reality for so many. It's just the reality of, man, Lord, I love you. Dedicate my life to you. I've surrender to you. I want to I grow in you. You know, sometimes we might say, you know, I, I'm in church. I pray. I'm raising my kids the right way. And, and all I see around me is just iniquity and, and unfairness. And, and not just maybe not around you. Maybe that's your life. Maybe your life is iniquity and unfairness. And, and you're just like, it's just too painful for me. But you notice I stopped short. Those of you who are reading with me, because there's a key word in verse 16 at the middle there, and it's the word until. It's almost as if the Lord will let you keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, until. It's a key word. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Our vision so often is too narrow we only see what can be seen. Obviously, we only feel what we can feel in the natural. We live in the natural realm. We see in the natural realm. We feel in the natural realm. But when we walk into the sanctuary of God, one of the reasons why we don't forsake the gathering, because this room, although it's just a room, and it's going to be empty, and the lights will be off, and the alarm will be turned on, it'll just be an empty room when you leave. But it's that place where our attention, our gathering, it's the sanctuary of God. And it's until I come into the sanctuary. Things change in the sanctuary that don't necessarily happen in the car. Change, things change in the sanctuary of God when they don't necessarily happen in the cubicle. Change, things change when you come into the sanctuary of God because the music is playing and the people are singing and, and the reality of life and there's a spiritual realm to open where God is training us. He's really training us, isn't he? He's training us to have the sanctuary of God wherever we go because we are the church. And yet there are just times when we need to gather, where, where we, we need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God, where we need to be around people. You know, I know so many of you, you come and you don't sing at all. You just are here because you need somebody to sing that you can hear. You need to read the words on the wall. You just need to read the words on the wall. But the words on the wall aren't on the wall at home. You're unequally yoked, and so your home is a mess. It's in disarray. It's so hard for you. And you come into the sanctuary just to, just to, just to walk around and, and see maybe a family down in the cafe feeding their kids. And in your heart, you go, you know what? That's going to be mine by faith. That's going to be mine by faith. God's going to restore my family. He's going to give my kids back to me. He's going to restore my marriage. You just need to see the single people serving around the church. And you go, you know what? There's value in my life. I'm more than just single. You just have to be around the songs and around the Bible study. You just have to be in the sanctuary. Then you begin to understand things.
Pastor Ed Taylor on the value and importance of gathering together in the church. Things become a whole lot clearer as we do. And this is Abounding Grace. Would you like a CD copy of this message? CD copies can be purchased for $2 by calling us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or listen online 24-7 at calvaryaurora.org. This month, we're pleased to offer an excellent book written by Ray Bentley. It's called The Holy Land Key, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel. It's one thing to read prophecy, but this will help you step into its fulfillment. Pastor Ray spotlights significant prophetic signs contained in the stories of biblical characters in God's creation and in the lives of today's Israelis and Palestinians. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. It would be so nice to hear from you during these summer months. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. We pray you have a safe and restful holiday. And remember, friend, you can trust God with your life. Come back tomorrow if you can as we resume our series in 2 Samuel with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.